I'm going to spend an archive somewhere. We are talking about integrity today, but to kind of bring us up to where we are, um, we've been talking this summer about this whole thing of, of uh, relationships, and we've used a passage of Scripture out of, out of Galatians chapter 5 that uh, probably um, many of us know uh, that's been in church before. If not, it's often called the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, in uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, uh, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And uh, we're in week six, and we've been covering one, ver- one, one attribute a week in regard to that. So guess where we are today? You ought to count six, okay? We've already covered the first five, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Today we're talking about goodness. We're talking about goodness, which is a little bit of a, a strange word, uh, kind of a strange thing. Now last week, if you were here, we talked about kindness, and kindness is simply, we said, love in action. It's actually taking the things, it's, it's actually living out uh, your love and, and acts of kindness. And so I challenged you last week to do some things that would be kind. I said this week as we left, I said, be kind, okay? Just be kind. Do something good for somebody. Just do something that's out of the ordinary. It doesn't have to be big. It can be small. And so uh, this, this morning when you finish the service, there's going to be back on the, on the Welcome Center on this side, there's a bunch of these little index cards. And if you did something this week or somebody did something to you, uh, you don't have to put your name on it, okay? I don't want names. I don't want names of people that, uh, uh, that you did it for. But it's just write down, if you wouldn't mind, you know, what, what kind of small act of kindness did you do for somebody? And just leave it out there on, on the Welcome Center, and then we'll take those and use those um, uh, in, a, in a future time to talk about uh, this, this as well, just acts of kindness. So a bunch of index cards, pens out there, following the service, you can take those, and, or you can take a card, write it down, and bring it back later. But you won't do that because, like most people, you'll forget. So uh, do it while you're out there, okay, this morning, and we'll follow up from last week as well. But this, this week we want to talk about this whole world, uh, word called goodness. Now, what is, what is goodness? Um, Goodness is kind of a strange word because the Greek word there really is a word that really is a word that comes from the Greek word really could be uh, defined as integrity. And integrity comes from the word integrate. So integrity means the ability to integrate the values of my heart into my daily actions. uh, In a sense, it's kind of like this. We don't slip into integrity. We don't go, oops, you know, I have integrity now. No, you don't do it. You make a choice. You make a choice, um, you decide on something in life, you decide on being, having integrity in your relationships. A couple verses in particular as we begin this morning, Proverbs 28, 6 says this, it's better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. So it's better to have integrity than wealth. And then in 1 Chronicles 29, 17, it says this, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. That integrity is something that makes God happy when he sees integrity in our lives. And so uh, it's, it's something that we're going to be talking about what it means this morning and how we live it out in our relationships. Because this, this summer as we've been looking at these verses is what we often call the fruit of the Spirit. The thing is, it says that, that as God's, as God's uh, Holy Spirit controls our lives, which he will in every one of our lives, when we become a believer, his Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he begins to control us. Now, we don't allow him full control right away. We begin the process of allowing control. But it says as we do that, what will happen is, is he will produce in us, the Holy Spirit will produce in us these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, so forth and so on. 
And so as we talk about this, we want to talk about this whole thing today of how does that work, how does this whole thing of, of integrity, this thing of goodness work in our relationships? Well, the thing is this, we all have what I call the frustration gap in regard to relationships. The frustration gap in regard to who we are. The frustration gap is this, that's the gap between my heart's values, the things that I wish I could do, and my daily actions. Now, if I ask a survey this morning to raise your hand, do you have a frustration gap in your life? And if you didn't raise your hand, I would say you're a liar, okay? Because there's this gap between what our intentions are and what we do. Um, Gallup did a poll a few years ago, and, and they said that the number one problem that Americans have in the poll uh, face is what, we, what they call incongruent values, incongruent values. And those are places where people say, I want to do this, but I'll, we do this. For instance, things like people say, I don't want to be materialistic, but they turn right around and spend too much money, and they focus too much on financial things. Or people will say, you know, my family is more important than anything else. And then we don't spend the time we need with family. And so we have these incongruent values. This, there's this frustration gap between what I say that I, that's important to me and what really is important to me and how I acted out in my life. The question is, how do you begin to close the frustration gap? Now, I want to tell you this this morning, if, if it'll make you feel better, it made me feel better, uh, is that everybody lives with a frustration gap in their lives. Matter of fact, one of my favorite people in all of Scripture I love is the, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul said it better than anybody else. He defined the frustration gap better than anybody else in Romans 7. He says this, No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. Y'all relate to that. There's my southernisms coming out, y'all. You know, I just got back from Cincinnati, and, and, I, and I'm with my two grandkids. My, we brought them back yesterday for the whole week. Uh, we have a four- to six-year-old boys live with us. Guess where they're living now? They're living in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, oh, guys, they've been there two years, and they've already picked up uh, y'all and bright and night and light and stuff like that. You know, it's really interesting, and I find myself going back to that stuff now. Okay, uh, but anyway, anyway, Paul says, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. He says, I want to, I want to but I can't. I want to do good, I don't. And when I, try, uh, when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. <laughs> it's the frustration gap in our lives between saying, hey, I want to do this, but we find ourselves, you know, not doing it. And then a few verses later, he says this, I don't understand myself at all. Does that describe you? Uh, that should be my life verse, you know? Probably all of our life verses, it's a refrigerator verse. We put it up there and read it every day because it describes who we are. I wish I didn't do that. I don't want to do that, but I do it. So what's the problem? The problem is integrity. Integrity. See, we often use the word integrity when we talk about business and finance, and, and, and you know, we talk about having integrity there, or we talk about politics, and we always use the word integrity or lack of, you know, in politics. Uh, we talk about all kinds of different types of integrity except for personal integrity in our families and in our relationships and with our friends. And, and the real value, though, I believe, of integrity, as we're going to talk about it today, is this. It's the real value of integrity when it's done, out, done well. It's really lived out in, in relationships because it has the power to build trust in a relationship, and trust is what fuels a relationship. I think we all know that. And if you found a place in your life where you mistrust or distrust someone, you understand that how it deflates a relationship as well. So, 
Let me just start off this morning before we get into the main part of the sermon today to talk about three benefits of integrity that help us build a level of trust in a relationship. There's three things really quickly that really help us grow in our relationships and benefits of integrity. Number one is protection. In a relationship, one of the things that happens, and it means that if you have protection in a relationship, you have integrity, you have protection, it means there's less fear. There's less fear. If you have less fear in a relationship, it can build trust. It can build trust. This, this verse out of Psalm 25 says, May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. My hope is in you. And so the thing is, when we have a relationship with God talking about that, it builds, it builds we have, don't have fear of God. It builds protection into our life. And if you have a, a less fear in a relationship, it can build, it can build trust. Secondly, security. Uh, another benefit of, of building integrity in a relationship is security. Greater confidence. Security gives us greater confidence. Um, in Proverbs 10, it says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. And, and then a the third thing, guidance. Better decisions. We make better decisions. Um, integrity gives us sort of an internal guidance system so that we make better decisions in life. It says this in Scripture. It says the integrity of the upright guides them. So you put these three things together, protection, security, and guidance, and you plug them into any relationship, and guess what it's going to do? It's, it's, going to, it's, going to be, it's going to strengthen the relationship. And so if you have integrity in your relationships, your relationships will be strong. You're going to be the kind of person who, because of integrity, enables and strengthens a relationship and makes it work instead of destructs uh, and uh, deludes a relationship. So today what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time here is four things that help us, to, in a sense, uh, some practical things we can do to practice integrity in relationships. Just four things I think the Scripture tells us that we can do to practice integrity. As the Holy Spirit leads us in our lives, as He guides us, He changes who we are, and, and He builds into our life this thing called goodness, integrity. These are things that will help us to... Um, to grow in our relationships. The first thing is this. This should be on, this should be just very obvious, but the first thing is we need to speak honestly. We need to speak honestly. I love what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Think about that. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Uh, but you you, you see, you can't fake honesty with the people that you're closest to. You can fake honesty with a lot of people, but not the people you're closest to. Um, if you catch somebody in a lie in a relationship, the trust level goes way down in a relationship. Speaking honestly is a hugely important part of having integrity in our relationships. But we ought to do it in the right way. In Ephesians 4.15, we've talked about this verse a thousand times, but basically it says, speak the truth in a spirit of love. Yeah, we speak the truth, but we do it the right way because some people don't, they tell the truth. They don't tell the truth, they launch the truth. It's like a, like a missile. And it does more destruction than it does good because of the way they do it. They do it, and I shared with a couple of weeks ago, the whole thing is sometimes we speak the truth, but we do it in such a way that it destroys the relationship. So really, what is the difference between speaking the truth and love and speaking the truth just to, just to get it out there is our intention. Are we trying to strengthen the relationship? Are we trying to get our point across? And I love what it says in Proverbs 20, verse 7. It says, it's a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. <laughs> Isn't that a, just a really very basic thing? That's the impact of speaking honestly. 
It's a wonderful heritage. You know, most of us, most of us um, walk away often thinking, you know, yeah, truth is a good idea. We need to speak the truth, right? We all, how many of you agree we need to speak truth? Oh, let's, let's take a survey, okay? If you don't ha- raise your hand, it probably means you don't want to speak the truth because you're one of the people who thinks this. Well, you know, speak the truth is a great thing, but, but, you know, there's some problems with speaking the truth sometimes. They get me in trouble. There's fear in speaking the truth sometimes, is there not? Because so often... Um, we struggle with this frustration gap. You know, we say honesty is the best policy, but a lot of us have canceled that policy in our everyday lives. We just don't tell the truth. Why is that? You know, there's a survey, another survey was done that said this, and I, I hate this survey because it's not a really good indictment on Americans, but it says this, 91% of Americans lie. That's what a survey said. White lies, big lies, whatever type of lies, 91% of us lie. There are times when we lie, times when we refuse to tell the truth. And I don't think it's always a lack of integrity as as much as it is a fear of what will happen if we tell the truth. See, at work, if I I say something, I'll get fired. If I tell the truth, I might get fired. Or, 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 you know, with friends, if I say the truth, they're not going to like me anymore. Or uh, at home, if I say the truth, my husband, my wife, we're going to end up having the biggest fight you've ever seen if I speak the truth. So we just keep our mouth shut, and we just live with it. And we know how well that works, because it doesn't go away. The truth always comes out somewhere along the way, and if we don't speak the truth early enough in the the process, what happens is it destroys relationships. So let's be honest uh, about honesty. Uh, Integrity and honesty are a tremendous risk in relationships. It's a risk to tell the truth. See, oftentimes in our attempt to keep the peace, what we actually do is lie. We say everything's okay, no problems. It's it's a risk to tell the truth. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes 10.8. It says there's a risk. It's a little word picture. There's a risk at each stroke of your axe. I mean, when you do anything... uh, and using the axe is constructive here. It, when you do that, uh, it, 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 there's a risk. There's a risk of some problems, some fallout. And all of us, let me just, just be honest, all of us when it comes to conflict, we're all cowards. How many of you love conflict? Anybody here love conflict? If you raise your hand, I'll sign you up for counseling right now, okay? Anybody that loves conflict is sick. Because none of us love conflict. We're all cowards in regard to conflict in a sense. We want to push it away as far as possible. Now, some people are more embrace it, but, uh, but, but I'm not, you don't want to love it. You know, we just don't want to face conflict. We don't like it. So it's a choice between an immediate conflict and, a, and gradually growing apart. That's what sometimes our choice is. Because sometimes he says, maybe it'll get better later in the relationship. I just don't speak the truth right now. Maybe it'll come out sometime. Maybe it will work out. But it never does until someone has the courage to tell the truth. And so integrity means, first of all, speak honestly. Speak honestly. And if you're struggling with a relationship with a parent or a husband or a wife or one of your kids, and you probably are thinking, I need to tell them the truth. And the only way we can do that, in a sense, is once again, let's go back to what it says in, in Galatians 5. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, what will it do? It will produce the fruit. So often we think we have to conjure up all this, 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 this courage 
So what we need to do is allow God's spirit to conjure up in us, produce in us courage. And one of the things he wants to produce in us is to encourage the integrity to speak honestly to people and to do it in the right way. That's the first one. Number two, the second thing that we need to do if we want to practice integrity in our lives and our relationships, have goodness in our life, is we need to confess regularly. We need to confess regularly. That's really hard to say, regularly. Okay. The thing is that, I, I don't know if you like poetry. I'm not a really big poetry fan, but sometimes I write stuff down that really speaks to me, you know. And Ogden Nash years ago wrote this little poem. It's about relationships, and I thought it was really good, uh, especially the second part. It's Ogden Nash when he said, he says, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. Now, the first part is kind of sappy, I know, you know. The last part's the good part, though. Here's the good part. It says, when you're wrong, admit it, and when you're right, shut up. You like that? Okay, great advice. When you're wrong, admit it, and when you're right, shut up. If you have to constantly talk about how right you are, you're probably got to either a, you got a problem, okay? See, every, every time I violated either side of this, you know, not, not admitting when I was wrong, And saying too much when I was right, there's been trouble, both ways. And both of these are important things to do. But when you're wrong, admit it. Admit it to the people you're in a relationship with. And it says this clearly. I mean, this is not a gray area. There's a lot of gray areas in Scripture. Let's admit that. Things that are like, I wish God would have said that more clearly. But this is not one of those. Because in James chapter 5, verse 16, it it says this. Admit your faults to one another. And pray for one another. Can it be any more clear than that? <laughs> Admit your faults to one another and pray for one another. Isn't telling our faults to God enough, we say? I mean, can I just go to God and go, God, this is, I messed up and this is it. You know, do we have to ask for others' permission to be forgiven too? You know, I mean, God's the one that forgives, right? Yes, but there's a principle in forgiveness that's called restitution. And we talk about this in financial world. There's financial restitution. If you've done something and you've stolen money and from somebody and you get caught and you, you have to pay them back financially, right? You stole the million dollars. You have to pay them back. You just don't say, I'm sorry, I did it. You have to pay them back. It's called financial restitution. In relationships, in relationships, there's also relational restitution. Let me give you an example of this. And, I, and this was really obvious um, it reminded me of this uh, last night as I was sitting there trying to study with a four to six year old asking me questions. Um, um, if I walk, and I remember this years ago, my kids are much older now. Obviously, I have a daughter who's got two grandkids and, and a son who's married for several years now. And, but I remember this. If I walk in the door, and I used to do this, walk in the door at the end of a long day, and my child has a project at school, and some of you can relate to this, and they say, Look, Dad, what I made. How do you respond? This is after a long day at work, and you're tired, and you want to sit down and just read the paper or watch the evening news. That's your primary focus here. What do you say to your, chi- your kid? You probably say something like, that's a great job, honey, and you really don't even look at it. You kind of like blow them off. You kind of give them a little bit of recognition, but they go on. And then after a while, and this happened to me so often, more than I like to say, so often, about a half an hour later, the Lord nudged my heart and said, you know, Bill, you're... 
you didn't pay attention to Keith or you didn't pay attention to Carrie. You just kind of blew them off, you know? And so I looked at God and I said, God, forgive me for that. But was, is that all there is I needed to do? No, I cannot tell you. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I had to go and apologize to my kids for the way I just didn't pay attention to them. You know, honey, I'm sorry that I didn't spend time. Let me look at it again, you know. And hopefully they'll, they'll accept the forgiveness and hug you and everything will be great, you know. Sometimes they won't. See, I used to do that all the time around the house, and I, I kind of think that's the kind of, that kind of forgiveness is a healthy part of relationships because we live, guess what? We talked about this already in the series. We live with sinners, and everybody else lives with sinners too, including us. We're all imperfect people, and in our relationships, there are things that we do that are wrong, and we need to admit our faults. That's what it's saying. We need to admit our faults to our kids, to our spouse, to whoever it is. See, this thing of forgiveness and unforgiveness, it's a barrier that's keeping many of our relationships from working. It's, it's a barrier. I remember years ago, uh, it was a story I read, and I, I write these down, by Ernest Hemingway. And Ernest Hemingway wrote a story about, he, uh, about this father and a son that had moved, to, and they lived in Spain, and they'd moved to Madrid. And the son was fairly young, he was there, and he was like, uh, you know, like nine, ten years old or whatever, and somehow they began, the son and the father began to grow apart. And the son eventually ran away from home. And, and in that day, this was many, many years ago, and that day, I don't know if it's still true or not, but in that day, many, there was thousands of young boys. Young boys, you know, most of them in their early teens, roaming the streets, almost homeless, and kind of living together. And the father couldn't find his son, and he looked and he searched and he did everything he could do. And he couldn't think of anything else to do. Finally, in desperation, he says, you know, I just need to reach out to people. And that day was before, before social media, okay? <laughs> he couldn't get on Facebook and do anything. So the only thing he could do was go and, and call the newspaper office. And he put an ad in the local newspaper, the Madrid newspaper. And this ad said this. He says, Paco, please come home. I'm desperately wanting to see you. And if you want to see me, meet me in front of the newspaper office tomorrow morning. All is forgiven. Dad. And he went down to the newspaper office the next day, and there were 800 boys there. See, sometimes all we got to do is say, I'm sorry. And it opens the door for relationships. Admit that you're wrong. Confess regularly. It says this in regard to our relationships with God himself. It says in, in 1 John 1, 9, it says that we confess our sins to him. He can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. And one of the things we often forget, and maybe the reason some of us can't, for, can't for, for, forgive and, and admit we're wrong sometimes is because we've not been experienced forgiveness ourselves. See, if you want to be forgiving, you must be forgiven. If you want to be forgiving, you must be forgiven. You must find in Jesus Christ the forgiveness that we all need. That's what the strength comes from. Yes, it's a struggle to forgive others. 90% of the time, it's because you need to recognize the wonderful forgiveness that God has already given you in your life. And then you can forgive others as well. That's a place to start. 
confess regularly. Number three, live consistently. Live consistently. The opposite of consistency is what? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Yeah, that's the opposite of consistency. It's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying, I'm going to do something, not doing it. How many times has we as Christians been called hypocrites? <laughs> Sometimes rightly so. Because often we, we live in this frustration gap. We know things to do. We, we, we say we want to do it this way, and then we don't live it out in our lives. But if you want to live a life of integrity, if you want to strengthen your relationships, you need to live consistently. Now let me give you three, three vital areas you need to be consistent in. Number one is you need to, in your public versus your private image. Your public versus your private image. The thing is this, in Matthew 6, 1, it says, Take care, do not do your good deeds publicly to be admired. So often, <laughs> he's talking about the motivation here. Don't do it to be admired by other people. Don't do your deeds. Don't just act one way in public and one way in private. Be the same. The sad thing is, is you know, so often we let our families down in order to build our public image up. I think a lot of times it's what we view as important. Sometimes we think it's important that we impress our boss or our friends and we forget how important our own family, the people that are closest to us, really are. Because we think they'll love us no matter what. Is that true? Maybe. I don't believe it's true. We can lose their respect. We can lose respect of the ones closest to us when we say, let me explain something to you. My wife was a school teacher for, for 20, 18 years before she came here, and then she's been subbing and tutoring and doing stuff since then. And she's always saying, little kids are the most honest people in the world. They'll tell you exactly what, what, what they think, and they will just, you can't fool them. You can fool everybody else, but you can't fool a seven-year-old. And so often, folks, we think, you know, that, that, that we, we say things and then we turn around and if, and if our public image is one way and we live at home another way, we're not fooling anybody at home. We can lose their respect. How important are your relationship with those people in your private life? How important is it really? I've said this, you know, I, I, I don't want anybody come and say anything to me about this afterwards, okay, what I'm about to say. Because it's about me. Okay? I understand something. A lot of people could do the job that I do as senior pastor of this church. A lot of people could do it as well or better than I can do it. A lot of people could do the same job. That, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Dan and all the, the crew did all the cross I'm glad that, I mean, I'm glad that, that, that all the, you know, that, that Chris and his staff, but there's people that can do our jobs just as well as we do them. But there's one place that's more important than what I do here. Nobody else can be the dad to my kids that I can. And nobody else can be the husband to my wife that I can. Yeah, there can be substitutes and it works out sometimes, but never the same when it's done right the first time. And so I said from day one when I came here, you know, if, if anything ever comes between me, and I constantly struggle with that, that tension between, you know, m my family and, and my job. 
my time here and my time there. And I've always tried to, tried to in a sense, do that. And I've tried to instill in staff the same values. Your family comes first. And if it doesn't come first, you're out of line, according to God's word. Because your family is your number one ministry. So yeah, I'm not too big-headed to think that there's not other people that can do my job just as well as I do. Maybe even better. But I, I do understand that nobody else can do my job of being a husband and a father and a grandfather now the way that I can with my family. So, I need to have consistency in my public versus my private image. Secondly, I need to have consistency and discipline. And this is, let me just speak to you. We have so many parents in this church. Oh, my gosh. I love it coming. Sunday morning, is like, it's, like, it's like controlled chaos out in the lobby. And right after the service, and we have the two services, it's like a thousand little kids. Like, it's not a thousand, I know that. That's exa- it's pastoral exaggeration. Uh, but it seems like there's a thousand little kids running around, okay? And it's like, it's like an echo chamber out there, right? And people are trying to talk. So if you say something to me out there and I don't hear you, it's not because I'm deaf. It's because I can't hear out there. Everybody else is like, but it's cool. So, but let me tell you as a parent, number one, you got to love your kids. But number two, you got to be consistent in your discipline. You got to be consistent in your discipline. You know, Ephesians 6 4 talks about fathers bringing up their children and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's up there on the screen. You can read that. And, and you know, and the reason so often that kids get frustrated and they don't have no, have no respect for their parents is because their parents aren't consistent. We're in the middle of baseball season right now. And I don't know if you're a Cub fan or a St. Louis fan or like me, an Atlanta Brave fan. I know that's really out of foe around here, but that's, that's cool. you know. But, uh, but the deal is this. Have you ever noticed that what happens is when, you know, when, when, when managers get, get angry or players get angry, at umpires, when is it? When they're inconsistent in their calls. You wait a plate umpire, and he throws, and, he's, and at one time it's the ball's out here, the next time he calls it a strike, you know, I would get upset. They scream and holler and yell and do kind of stuff like that, and the thing is, it's because they're inconsistent. Consistency requires, re- requires that we do the same things over and over and over again. Parents, parenting is tough. And some days we, we, we say, you know, some days we're great parents. We're consistent and we hang in there. And some days we're just worn out. And we don't, you know, just to get them off our back, we'll give them ice cream. Right? So the problem is the next time it happens, they eat ice cream. Oh, whatever, you know. The deal is you've got to be consistent. And inconsistency takes teamwork. Let me tell you something else about that that is important. Husbands and wives, if you have, if you have a, a husbands and wives with your kids, you've got to be on the same page, consistent with your discipline. Don't say anything like, well, wait till your dad gets home. Moms, you, you and dad, have already, if, if that's the case, or it could be the other way around in our world today, Okay. You shouldn't have to wait till dad gets home or mom gets home. You've already talked about it. You're consistent in your discipline, so do it. Do you believe I have a feeling about that? But no, if you want to have good relationships, kids need boundaries. They love boundaries, and when they get all messed up is when they have no boundaries in their life. 
Consistent boundaries in your life. Consistency and discipline. That's the second thing. That's the second area of consistently that we need to live in our lives as well. Thirdly, consistency between our words and our actions. I said our public life, our private life. I'm going to talk about between our words and our actions. I hope you never say this. I hope you never say this. Do as I say, not as I do. If you ever say that, shame on you. I don't care what it is. Parents, leaders, people, never say do as I say, do as I, I mean, do as I say, not, not as I do. It's better to say, this is what I'm shooting for. <laughs> and, and, and this is what I'm trying to do in life, and at, at least you strive for what I'm trying to strive for. I've told that to my kids. i told my kids many times, hey, I'm not perfect. And I'm shooting for this, trying to do this. And that's when I have to apologize many times is because I don't hit the mark. I love what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, that's what those who are closest to us see as well, our heart. They know our heart. Who we are really are. And that's what impacts and influences them. Your lifestyle is contagious. If you have a lifestyle that's filled with hypocrisy and inconsistency, those that are closest to you see it, and they're wanting to run away from you like the plague. That's why so many, so many times in relationships, those that are closest to us seem not to want to be around us. And maybe it's because... They don't know what to expect out of us. So that was the third thing. Consistency. The fourth and final thing we need to do is this. If we're going to have integrity in our relationships, we need to commit openly. Commit openly. Now that sounds kind of strange. What does that have to do? Well, integrity means that you must make up your mind in advance in a lot of areas of life. Let me give you an example of that. You need to make up your mind in advance. There are times in life that you shouldn't wait to make up your mind until the situation comes along. For instance, I'm standing here with a couple. It's wedding day. I look at the guy and I say, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? That is not the time to say, give me a minute, let me think about it. Right? Right? I hate to tell you this, but occasionally that's the way I feel with some couples because they come into it and they're all starry-eyed. And and let me tell you what I do in premarital counseling. I try to talk them out of it. One of my goals is to talk them out of it. And if I can talk them out of it, guess what? They're not ready. I learned that from a seminary professor. And the thing is, is that is one of the things in life, and there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of our life that we don't have to wait till the situation arises for us to do something about it, right? To make a decision on how we're going to respond. We, res- we understand, we commit openly, we say, this is the way, this is what I believe in. We make up our mind in advance about integrity. We decide that in advance you're going to be this way in a relationship. I love what it says, how, you know, God's that way. God's that way. He, he commits openly to us. It says in Isaiah 45, 19, this is God kind of speaking. I says, I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner so that no one will know, 
so that no one will know what I mean. Because I boldly proclaim my promises. I say what I, what I stand for. But you're going like, well, I can't always trust myself to make right decisions. Well, I'm not sure it's a good idea to make commitments because I might let somebody down. Remember this, it's always easier to make up excuses than to make up your mind. It's always easier to make up excuses than to make up your mind. For all of us. Once you make up your mind, then the way that you stick with it is you tell somebody. That is why I'm so high on having somebody in your life that's account- that you're accountable to besides your, not just your spouse. For, all, for, many, for, for the last 25 years, I've had a person that's called an accountability partner in my life. For me, it's another guy. For a girl, it's another girl. Okay? And that person I share with and I pray with and I say, this is the struggles that I'm going through. These are the things that I'm boldly proclaiming in my life that I'm going to try to stick to. Even though when I fail, guess what? I'm accountable to someone else. I boldly proclaimed to someone else. I don't have to tell everybody in the world about it. I need to tell somebody about it. See, we all need some people in our life that we can tell about our commitments and that will hold us accountable to those commitments. And when we simply keep everything secret and go like, well, I can't tell anybody about that. It's really easy to not live a life of, of no integrity, of hypocrisy, when everything's hidden. Growth begins with a commitment. Growth begins with a commitment. Romans 10.9 says that's where our Christian life begins. Do you know that? Famous verse. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And every time I'm sitting with somebody and talking with them about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, this is one of the verses I talk about. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Most people have no problem with the, with the, with the uh, believing in your heart part. Because they're going like, and this means that more than just believing kind of, you know, ideas about God, it's believing in your heart, which means it affects your life. That's what believing with all your heart is. But it's the confessing with the mouth part that a lot of people have problems with. Why do we need to confess with our mouth? God knows our heart better than anybody. So why do I have to say, I mean, doesn't God know what we're thinking already? Okay. Is your God big enough to understand what's already going on in your head? Do you think God knows what you're thinking right now? Let's take a survey. How many of you think that God understands what you're thinking, and he knows everything you're thinking right now? I got both hands raised, okay? Because that's the God I know from Scripture. So, why do we have to confess with their mouth? And God already knows, right? Had that argument with people a thousand times. So who's it for, God? No. You need to confess with your mouth. You need to make things public. It's not for God's sake. It's for our sake. He knows what a powerful thing is voicing a commitment can mean in life. That's why we have baptisms in public. Not because it's more holy than anything else, but simply because you're confessing before other people, you're making a proclamation, a, a, you're, 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 and so all these 21 kids that made commitments to Jesus Christ, 
during cross-training this past week, my prayer is that they will, as we talk through it with them, be up here being baptized soon. They say, I believe in my heart. Now we will confess with our mouth and with our life. And that's what all of us need to do. It's, uh, see, growth begins with a commitment. So let me, let me close with this verse in Psalm 101, 2. I'd like for all of us to make this our testimony to God. And this is a really simple verse. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. It's going to begin at home. It has to be there. It begins with voicing a commitment. If you're not ready to make this commitment, maybe you need to uh, begin with the verse that's above this one, the one I just talked about, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Maybe that's where you need to start. See, God wants us to live a life of integrity. And integrity is more than just an idea. It's an action that's lived out in our lives. And when we live a life of integrity, our, our relationships will be strengthened beyond anything you can imagine. So the question is, will we do it? Will we do it? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness, and we pray that you would allow us this morning to walk in, in, in integrity and help us to um, begin at home. Help us to do the things that we need to do. Help us to commit openly. Help us to be consistent in our life. Help us in a real sense, to confess regularly, and help us, God, in a sense as well, to speak honestly with people. And doing those things in our lives, God, uh, even though when we struggle with those, what happens is so often, God, is, is it can cause momentary problems, but long-term, God, it's the best, best policy. And if we live a life of integrity, it'll strengthen our relationships. It'll help us to live lives the way you want us to, God. And in doing so, uh, you're, you would be glorified. Because, God, you are glorified when we are living lives of integrity. And let it begin individually with us. And then may we spread it to our kids and, and to people in our community as we allow your spirit, God, to work in us and produce in us these fruits. Just this one that we've talked about today, just this one would strengthen our relationship so much if we would live it out, a life of integrity. Guide us this morning, God, as we sing a closing song as we go our separate ways, that you would just help us, God, to live this life this week. And if there's someone here, God, that needs to make a commitment and, and do what it says in the verses that we just talked about there, about confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart, God, if someone needs to do that, I pray today that they would just simply let us know by, by filling out the card, uh, calling the office, and sitting down with us and talking with us about their next step as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a second, we're going to sing a closing song. Before we do, I will challenge you to do one thing. If you need to make a com commitment to God and confess it in some way, the card, the, the part that's on the back of your bulletin, actually the flap that you can tear off, you can tear that off and put your name on it and check on the back, you know, hey, I want to know about beginning a relationship with Christ or I want to do something, whatever the commitment needs to be made. And in doing so, and in doing so, we will follow up with that and sit down and help you to take the next step that you need to take. Glad you're here today. Hope that God just blesses you this week. Go and walk with integrity.